with Authors fans, we have some pretty big news from your host here, Erica Lance. We are moving to change the format of the show to be one episode. So there's a few episodes that were recorded the old way that we're doing the new way. And that's what you're listening to. So thank you. Don't forget to like and subscribe. And we love having you as fans. On to the show. This podcast could potentially have adult language, adult themes, definitely drinking, and possibly the possibility of sexual content. <clears throat> Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to Drinking with Authors. I'm your host, Erica Lance. My co-host today is the fantastic Bo Lake, and our guest today is Kathleen Davies. Welcome, Kathleen. Thank Um, you. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Okay, let's talk about what we're drinking. So today, in my Drinking with Author swag that everybody on the show gets, um, I am drinking strawberry and peach juice with gin in it. So it's gin and juice. I keep saying that. It's not what actually people call gin and juice, but we're going to let that go. Um, Bo, what are you drinking? Well, today I have a chai tea latte because you made me crave one after yesterday when you were talking about it all day long. And I have a blue moon uh, as a chaser, you know. Now that's a chaser. <laughs> I was all about those chai tea lattes. They were pretty epic. Kathleen, mm. yeah, what are you drinking? Uh, I've got your finest, cheapest bottle of Merlot that I managed to get <laughs> at a... Uh, at the co-op for a fiver on the way home from work. So I love it. I love it. Okay. So for anybody out there who doesn't know you, what do you write? Uh, I focus mainly on literary fiction. I've got a collection of short stories out. Um, I do do some horror and gothic and sort of stuff like that. A little bit of poetry, but not really very much. Um, mostly literary short stories is my kind of area of expertise. Very cool. And when did you start writing? I don't know. I mean, when I was a kid, I used to write stories and stuff like that and poems and um, lots of things like that. I think when I started writing seriously, I was 16 and there was a writing competition at our college and the winner got a um, hundred quid or something, which was like a mental amount of money at the time when you're 16. And I came second and got 50 quid. And at that oh, time, wow. I was like, oh, this might be lucrative. And I was completely incorrect. <laughs> But by that point, <laughs> by that point, I'd applied to do the creative writing course at UEA, which I don't know if you know, probably an American audience. Uh, University of East Anglia has this fantastic creative writing master's program where lots of fantastic writers graduated from there, like Kazuru Shiguru. Um, I think Angela Carter taught at UEA at some point and Amit Shaturi and lots of brilliant writers so I got into that and then I got into a right community and then I kind of just stuck with it from there really that's very cool though and and I love that um you entered in one that's kind of brilliant the first the first go like you you have that um what made you decide to focus on short stories um I think part of it at least is my uni upbringing we had it split into like prose poetry and scripts and prose because the word count was always like sort of 2000 words so I I just had a collection of lots of 2000 pieces of short story when it came to publication um and I like them they're like kind of encapsulated things you know short stories it's like a whole moment like caught 
you know, poems even more so, really, really encapsulated, just a feeling, less than a moment. Um, but I do actually write novels. I'm doing a PhD at the moment, and I've got this novel going called Stitches, which is a big old 8,000 word one. So I don't know, I stuck with short stories, I think just because I hadn't started writing novels yet. So <laughs> it's kind of uh, just what I've got going on. No, I think that's, believe it or not, a lot of writers have a very hard time writing short stories, mm. especially shorter stories. So I, I had an author on the other day that was like, yeah, I wrote a novella. It was 50,000 words. I'm like, that's not a novella. I appreciate <laughs> oh, you. Yeah. That's, that's the whole ass That's novel. actually a book. Yeah, that's <laughs> like, that's like a, a small novel. And it's funny because like even doing short stories and having anthology things and stuff like that, people tend to, you go, hey, it needs to be two to 5,000 words max. And they'll send you a 15,000 word story. And I'm like, we're not editing 10,000 words. We're not editing two thirds of the story out of here for you. And you'd be furious if we tried to, you know? Exactly. <laughs> I was actually one of the first publications I was in um, we were supposed to write a max of uh, 10,000 words. That's what it was. It was a 10,000 word story, right? And um, I wrote, so I wrote a short story. It was just like 10,005 words. Like it was that. So I was talking to the editor of that particular book and she told me one of the other authors submitted a 30,000 word story. Brutal. And then told her to cut it wherever you want to. I would be like, well, I'll cut you out of this whole anthology then, I guess, because you can't follow instructions. So, like, and she, so she told me, she's like, yeah, I cut it. I'm like, how did, why would you cut it down? Why would you even try that? Yeah. But honestly, I read the short story. It didn't make any sense. I'm just like, was like <laughs> of course so, it didn't. Mental fragmented. They'd lost 20,000 words of context. Well, it's really funny. So I knew the writer and I reached out to her and I'm like, why don't you make this into a book? Like it's a, it was a ghost story. Right. And she's like, oh yeah, no, I can do that. She was 30,000 words in mind you. This is now 15 years later. She has not produced a book. Right. Sometimes, yeah. sometimes you just have that with projects. So don't you, the amount of times that I've been working on a project and thinking this is going to be amazing. And then I've, I've dropped it because the momentum was kind of lost and I ended up be wanting to work more on other stuff. Is she, is she still writing in general though? I don't know. I just know there's no book, but mm -hmm. I, I think that's true. You talk about it. We, I usually refer to them as story graveyards where stories get put away. And sometimes you bring them back. Sometimes you go, oh, wait, that was a great, I'm going to bring that back. Yeah. And then other times you're, you look at it and you're like, uh, no no I'm never touching that again yeah you, what is that was what you're I talking thinking? about the story graveyard oh yeah I mean I I do especially working like with the publisher that I have at the moment like they, they want a really fast turnaround so I do go back to pulling out stuff that's been abandoned to be like okay I need to get this work out I need some more stories to be released you know but um I don't think the graveyard's a bad thing I think writing like any other art like anything you do it to practice it not everything's got to be a gem like sometimes you just explore and sometimes you just play and sometimes you've got an idea and actually it's a bit of a rubbish one. Um, but it's all it's all fine. It's all good. It's all just getting towards the thing that's going to be good. And um, I'm definitely more of a drafter than a genius. Like I've got some people that were in my co uh, master's courses who were geniuses. Like every sentence they wrote was beautiful. And they, you know, spent so long doing a single draft because they weren't writing anything mediocre. I'm not like that. I, I will do 
very, very quickly a mediocre short story and then edit it into an R8 short story and then edit it a little bit more into an even better short story. And then, you know, so I lose maybe half the words that I write. That's fine. That's fine for me. And it's really beneficial for a PhD as well, because there's a lot of like putting in lots of hard work and then your supervisor going, oh, this is great, but I think you should maybe change it all. And for me, I'm like, cool, yeah, that's fine. I'll change it all. I'll do another draft. That's no problem. Whereas I think for a lot of people that, or a lot of my PhD friends, they're like, oh yeah. So that's why I had another nervous breakdown this week. <laughs> it's just, you know, part and parcel of it. I think it's interesting you said that because you do run into authors who think every word they write is a gem. It's a diamond mm -hmm. on that piece of paper and how dare you touch it and stuff like that. And not that you can't love your work because I think you should love and enjoy your work. But if you have experts or things like that around you that are trying to give you advices on your work, mm -hmm. you have to be open to at least listening to them and go, let me look at what they're saying to see if it has value to what I I'm saying, and not like, oh my God, how come they didn't think everything I wrote was the perfect thing to write in a million years? Yeah. Yeah. I think that's why workshops are so helpful. Cause I mean, I've kind of gone full circle. Like I was a creative writing undergraduate at UEA now doing my PhD there and I, I lecture as well. And I teach undergraduate classes on creative writing and the workshops are so beneficial because you're reading your workout and you've got a class of 10 other people who are giving you their feedback. And the thing is, you can always tell, like, if five people in the class understand the story and understand what you're trying to do and are giving you the same constructive but slightly negative feedback, that's because you've not achieved your aim. But if there's five people in the class that uh, are giving you constructive feedback and because they have no idea what you're trying to do and what the story's about, that's maybe because they don't understand it. And I think that's fine. That's why we have critical analyses that go alongside it. That's why we accept that art is, you know, down to interpretation but you've got to kind of get okay is this feedback that I'm getting do they know where I'm coming from do they understand my aim and have I achieved it because if I haven't I need to fix that and if they're completely not understood where you're coming from sometimes you can ignore it sometimes you need to think okay why have so many people not understood where I'm coming from um but it's you need that like quantity <laughs> I think the quantity of feedback is just always beneficial get as many people to read your stuff as you can yeah, I think that's the importance of a street team. Like, yeah. even if you want to put stuff out, having a group of people that you know like your work and stuff like that, but can also go, hey, I don't understand this, or you give them a piece and go, what do you think I'm trying to say here? Mm -hmm. I had that with one of my first stories. I, you know, there's a ghost in it. And my team went, is, is this person supposed to be dead? And I'm like, why? And they're like, yeah no that was a guess we couldn't tell and I went okay well I need to go back and fix that yeah. so that it's a little bit more understandable for mm -hmm. what I was trying to accomplish I can't go well you're dumb how dare you not <laughs> see this brilliance that I had written you yeah. know you gotta go I want the public to consume this I don't want five people on planet earth to read this and get it I want you know <laughs> five million people on planet earth to read this and get it and you know if we can thing. get five people on planet earth to just read my work i'm thrilled to be honest but like yeah <laughs> no i know I, I know what you mean um i think because i'm really big on like uh diy stuff as well and kind of punk culture and, and stuff like that and i have like some good writing communities especially being in norwich in the uk it's like very much a literary hub and uh i think what i encourage everyone to do including all my students including myself is just shove it out there all of it just shove it out there as a kind of like trying thing 
and get feedback on it and change it as you can. So if you've got a poem that you're not sure of, why not perform it at a poetry night and listen to what the other poets have to say about it? Because, you know, that's what those nights are for. And you can gauge their reaction and figure out, you know, okay, so that that punch didn't hit as hard as I wanted it to because there weren't any gasps in the room or like, I told that joke bit in the poem and no one laughed, so something's amiss here. Uh, but just kind of keep going and just give it a go because you don't know who it's going to resonate with. You know, you don't have to be perfect every single step of the way. It's just about doing it, that's all, <laughs> you know, doing it yourself. <laughs> no, that's very true. So what is the name of your first book? Cheeky Bloody Articles. Brilliant title. Thank you. And that came out when? Uh, August 2022. So little, about six months ago, maybe. So what was that like when that got published? Bizarre. I think I, I, think I sort of thought that it would get published and overnight I'd be... Um, an international bestseller and this official proper author and actually it, that didn't happen it came out lots of my friends and families had copies of my book and like took pictures and showed me like hey look I'm reading a book and that was lovely uh, but it was very much the same as like you know when I was publishing short stories and people were doing the exact same thing like hey look I'm reading a short story um but it has been cool actually and the kind of pride that I got it, like it's gradual it wasn't like an overnight success, but it's just these tiny, tiny little things of like people saying to me, oh, what do you do? And I'll be like, oh, I'm doing a PhD in creative writing at the moment. And they'll be like, oh, creative writing. Oh, so you want to be a writer? And I'll be like, well, I am a writer, actually. I've got a book out. Oh, what a feeling. <laughs> it's been years and I've not been able to do that. And it, it was like just really, really incredible. Um, and I love it as well. Like, I love the cover of it, which wasn't my doing. That was the team's doing and they're wonderful I love the little epitaph that I have to my nephews and being able to show my nephew who's five and he's just learning how to read. And I'm like, oh, well, whose name's that? And he's like, Max, that's me. And I'm like, oh yeah, it's because I wrote it. Um, yeah, it's, it's been really fun. And because that was a collection of short stories as well, a lot of it was just editing. It wasn't too hard to put together. It prob I probably should have worked harder on it, realistically speaking. I had a lot of irons in the fire. Um, but yeah, it, it was just reading through lots of short stories, putting them together, editing them as best as I could. and. By the end of it, I was I was quite pleased. Yeah. So it's been bizarre. It's not been everything I thought it would be, but it's um yeah, it's been good. <laughs> well, and so you got feedback from friends and family. Have you seen other reviews? Um no, I don't think so. All Do my you reviews stock are... your reviews? No, no. <laughs> well then you have a hard time seeing your reviews if you don't stock your reviews. <laughs> They're not gonna just come knock on the door and go, I have a review for you. Yeah. Wouldn't that be cool if people had to come no, door to door to give you No, that <laughs> wouldn't be cool. I would hate if someone came to my door and knocked and was like, I gave you a one star. And I'm like, why? I don't know. And then they just leave. Because <laughs> they're still not going to verbalize it. Even like those people who just read the, leave the one star, no comments. I don't think they're going to give you comments if they stop at your door either. Well, and that's the thing. There's a big difference between leaving a review and leaving a, a whatever that is when the stars I forget what that's yeah. called but that's dumb to me like they shouldn't yeah. actually allow that to occur like if you're gonna leave a rating that's what it's called yeah if you're gonna leave a rating you gotta leave a review that's how that works yeah because it's not helpful it just makes you feel bad about yourself and then you're like I don't know how to improve or if I even need to improve what is this person even talking about because I don't know yeah no but you you do on um, Goodreads and things like that, finding um, reviews and stuff, if you want to look, but you're, you're going into, Kathleen, obviously, 
as Bo would put it, the danger zone. <laughs> like, because you'll have the good and the bad, you know, like, it goes both ways. But well, a lot of times it. you get an opportunity to see what people who have found your book are saying about your book. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess it's kind of like, it feels odd and narcissistic to be Googling your own name and Googling your own book and stalking the places where you can buy it and seeing what's been said. But it did remind me when I got set up with my publishers, they were like, you know, sort out all the social media and I had to create a good resource or account and stuff like that. And I was adding the publications, the anthologies that I was a part of to my list and I got to see the reviews. It was brutal, man. Not because the reviews were bad, because like <laughs> I was in this anthology called Love Bites, which is about the death of Peter Shelley, who's the um, front man for the Buzzcocks. Uh, my, my MA supervisor got me in on that, which is fantastic. And I opened the book with my short story because I, I did like one of their first ever songs on their first EP, Spiral Scratch. And there was a review that was something like, oh, it's a bit hit and miss. They definitely improve as they go on. And I was like, oh, <laughs> like, not even personally aimed at me, not horrible, nothing about it, but I was like, oh my God. But you know, actually I kind of agree with him. <laughs> I read that anthology when it came out and I was like, why am I in here? Everyone else is brilliant. Oh God, this is mortifying. But of course that was gonna be the case. It was my creative writing supervisor and all his mates and, you know, I'm not at that level yet, or at least I definitely wasn't when I was 20, 22, but uh, still glad I did it, I think. But stalking reviews, like you said. Well, I, and here's the thing. I actually um, recommend that authors uh, set up Google alerts for themselves and their books because um, you will be surprised. And not every review do you get a Google alert that you got a review. That's not how it works. But it does show you when people mention your book or talk about your book in um, uh, blogs or, you know, on Facebook and stuff like that. You get to see when people are talking about it, which can be kind of nice. Or when they tag you in an article and things like that, which, again, has usually 90% of the time great results. And then there's you know, 10% of the time you're like, what, what did they just say? You know, <laughs> but I don't, I don't, I think that it can be healthy because that at least tells you um, how you're being broadcast, but you, you have another book coming out, right? I do. Yeah. Next month, actually. Uh, so Sorry. That's called Unmarvel. It's like a sort of memoir thing about my partner's suicide back in 2018. Well, that's very cool. When does that come out? Uh, March 16th. So that's exciting. It'll be out when this airs. Yay. <laughs> it's a bit exciting. It's a bit terrifying. I'm, I'm horrified about it, to be honest, but um, it's happening. <laughs> but yeah. It's, Why do it's, you feel that way about it? It's so personal. It's so personal and it's very traumatic. I mean, actually, I was, because I work with Bo. I was talking about this and I said, I said to her, like, listen, I've not edited this fully and I can't read it again. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm just sending it to you. But it's really great about it. Don't worry. Look after yourself. Yeah. You've got an editing team. It's absolutely fine. But um, it's been, it's been emotional. January was a rough, rough month for me because it's reliving a lot of trauma. Like, you know, this is about the suicide of somebody that I really, really cared about who wasn't a perfect person. He was often, you know, quite cruel to me. And I was rehashing those opinions and it's not so, so much about him as about me running off to the Basque country and having a nervous breakdown. Cause I did that thing of like, I'll get away from this. I'll have a fresh start. But I, I didn't get on 
any medication. I didn't see a counselor. I moved away from my family and my friends and any support network. I moved somewhere where it was two euro for a pint of beer. That's a mistake <laughs> if you're grieving. Uh, and yeah, yeah, that's when I wrote the whole thing. So it was hard. It was hard to write. It was hard to read. It was hard to edit. And when it comes out, I'm so terrified of the backlash. I'm so terrified. I feel like lots of people will quite rightly be like, what right of you to do this? And I'll have to be like, I don't know. I'm sorry. I don't know. It was cathartic. I thought it might help someone. But um, honestly, I'm terrified. Yeah. <laughs> it's a real mixed bag of emotions. Well, and, you know, I think it's wonderful that, that, that in a way that's your truth on it, because if when something is very, very personal, I mean, it's one thing if you write you know, high fantasy and you're talking about elves and all this stuff and you love your world, but it's very different when you're talking about stuff that specifically happened to you, right? Mm -hmm. And there is going, because not everyone in the world will agree with everything everybody writes, you know, mm -hmm. but I think if you can put on your sort of battle armor for it, you will make a difference and there will be people who've had that. And, you know, we had somebody on recently who had a um, uh, wrote a book because her husband had died, right? And she's like, well, I think only these people will read it. And I said, when it comes to certain things and certain emotions, people go through it. And believe it or not, a lot of literature helps people find that what they're feeling or what their emotion, they can express it and they can go, okay, I'm not alone. And I'm not crazy for having felt this way and stuff like that. Because a lot of times, um, you know, sort of what you described, people don't necessarily realize where help avenues are for them or mm. feel comfortable getting them because depending on how they were raised, you know, I have several friends that you mentioned, hey, maybe you should talk to a therapist about this. And they're like, oh no, I would never share mm. with a stranger. And I'm like, you mean a stranger that went to school for like eight years to understand talking to somebody about things like this, that stranger? Oh, I can never talk to a stranger. I'm like, do you, do you know a therapist then? <laughs> but they don't do that. So I think it's very brave and very awesome that you did that. Although I can completely understand being terrified about it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it is terrifying, but I mean, like my editor came back to me uh, after she'd done a great job editing it. I'm sure there's still typos. I'm sure there's still mistakes. I, I couldn't look. By at the it. way, yeah. there will never ever not be typos and mistakes. True. I don't care if you send it through 75 people. Yeah. Like you look at some of the the books put out by the world's most famous authors, mm. and there are typos in them. It's just an impossibility. I think they grow spontaneously too in books. Like they're not oh, yeah. there. As soon as you you hit print, they're suddenly there. Yeah. Sure. Yeah, uh, like, but my editor, she she was saying to me as well, uh, yeah, thanks for writing this. I lost my partner when I was 18 to suicide. And I was like, whoa, what are the chances? I said, that's, I'm so sorry. And like, I, I couldn't have asked for a better or more understanding or empathetic editor. Like, thank you so much. But wow, what are the chances? That's, that's mad. And she was like, well, not really. I think it happens to a lot of people. And, you know, suicide is something that's, it is increasing or at least it's being spoken about more. And in the UK, it's getting worse because we've got this horrendous cost of living crisis and there isn't much of a future for young people anymore. And it's really terrifying. I, you know, I was speaking to my ex the other day and she was talking about, she just left a partner of four years. who was pretty awful. And she said, well, I stayed so long because I thought she was going to kill herself. And like, there's, it does happen a lot. There is this kind of um, 
manipulation. There is a gap that isn't being filled. There's a glamorization of mental health issues as well as a complete stigma. So it's it's really hard. It's really hard to speak about it, honestly. And you know, I'm I'm as guilty as this as anyone else. When I was an angsty teenager, I very much sort of idolized this kind of thing in stories. And actually, you know, we probably shouldn't. <laughs> so it's I think as long as I thought I wouldn't have published it if I didn't think that some people would get something from it. And like I say that in the book, like ha had I had a book written about this when it was happening to me, I think I would have felt better because unfortunately it is going to happen to a lot of people. A lot of people are manipulative, a lot of mentally ill people, especially even with their death. And that doesn't mean to say they're terrible people. It just means to say they're really ill, but it has a ripple effect. It does. It does. And I think you're completely correct. I think there's more people that have experienced that. And, you know, it is on the rise and COVID didn't help anything in that regard yeah. for both sides of that, for people who have mental illness, which yes, there's way too much stigma and that should be solved and people who are suicidal and they're not the same thing always, right? Just because you're suicidal does not mean you're mentally ill. And I think a lot of people get put into that category you know what I mean like oh well obviously they must be crazy they come that's not how that works right so I think your words are very important yeah I mean like can a mentally sane person kill themselves I mean it's a, it's a hard thing to ask I, I mean I don't know I, I find it philosophy tube she did a fantastic video about this um called something like the cosmonaut. I don't know if she still has that video up because it's before she came out, so maybe it's down. But it's a bit of a weird, like, theoretical thing when you think about it, like, is everyone who kills themselves mentally ill? In this society, you want to say yes, but then at the same time, when you think about people in cults that all kill themselves, what, did that happen as a result of mass depression? Probably not. Did it happen as a result of brainwashing? Probably. What about people that did it for good reasons would I do it if I thought I would be tortured otherwise it, it's just a really complex issue and I don't necessarily think we're always going to have the answers especially when it comes to mental illness it's such a muddy gray area with no clear diagnoses with no proper understanding of it because we're base we're basing everything on how people say they feel and a lot of the time people are honest so it's just it's a really complicated issue and I've got past the point of trying to figure it out. Like I write about this in the book, I spent so long trying to figure it out, how I could have stopped it from happening, why it happened, what what went wrong. And actually you don't know, and you're never gonna know. And after a while you've got to kind of put it away and just accept that there are some things that are beyond your control. This isn't very articulate, but do you, do no, you get- it's, No, it's articulate. perfectly articulate. <laughs> it's perfectly articulate. Absolutely. No, I, and I appreciate you sharing that with us. We have to take a quick break, but we'll be right back with our next authors. Hey, listeners, you know me, Eric Lance. You're just listening to me in the podcast that you have. But guess what? I'm doing something new. Yeah, she's joining me, Mark Muncy, the author of the Erie, Florida book series in Erie, Appalachia. And we are hosting a new podcast called Erie Travels. Woo-woo, Erie Travels, which covers things like ghosts, cryptids, weird stuff, UFOs, men in black, all kinds of fun things that people talk about and I'm sure you've discussed with friends. 
Yep. And you can listen to us on your favorite podcast platform of choice or find us at eerietravels.com and join in the fun and all the spooky goodness. And of course, Mark, what do we always say? We'll see you on the other side. So you're working on an actual novel now, right? What is your writing journey that you want in the next few years? Like, what do you, what are you looking to accomplish? Because you're going for your PhD, which is brilliant, but this is, you're like in it, like you're super in it when you're like, I'm getting my PhD in this, you know? Yeah. Oh God. I'm taking it as it comes, to be honest. I mean, like, uh, I've got a collection of interconnected short stories called Fluids. And that's based on 1970s artwork that's got body fluids and um, stuff like that. It's very cool. For me, the research was super cool because it was like really punk and I was looking at performance art and like coon transmissions. It was really great groups that were where I'm from, like Hull in the United Kingdom. I'm sort of near there anyway. And uh, yeah, you know, Carolee Schneeman and all these wonderful people. I want that to come out by the end of this year. So like, thankfully my publishers, they're fast, <laughs> they're fast moving. So uh, I think that should probably be out by the end of 2023, all things considered, maybe the early 2024, we'll have to see how that goes. Um, obviously when I finish my PhD, that'll either be, I've got either a year and a half yet left or two and a half years. To be honest, most people don't do their PhD in three years. I think I, I will try to, I have like the first draft of the novel, but I've got to do the critical as well, which is, hard work hard work but like when that's done I, I want to get the novel published ideally um I've been working on this thing called Skets as well I've put that away for ages but it's definitely still on the back burner where it's like uh about young girls and sexual development and this theory that I've got that like in this patriarchal world that we live in or at least that I grew up in it was impossible for girls to come to terms with their sexuality without trauma I don't think it was possible. I think if you did it too soon or too late, or you judged for it anyway, or you were queer, or you were straight, and either way, it was horrendous. Um, yeah, and I'm writing lots and lots of short stories, so hopefully I'll have enough connect collection of just straightforward, unconnected short stories out soon. Um, so I've got lots of ideas in my head that I'm kind of working with. In terms of the journey, I don't know. I'll just see. I'll just see. Like, <laughs> you know, me, either a story will get picked up or it doesn't. Um, but I'm more, on, I'm more into the process and, like, what I am creating than the journey of where I'm going to end up because there's no point if you're an artist there's no point in thinking oh, I'm doing this so I'll win this prize and so I'll do this because it's so shaky like there's so many more writers and there is a demand for new writing so you just you just gotta do your best and do it for the sake of it and see what comes of it and that's my kind of attitude I think well that and find your audience that's the biggest thing as an author is finding your audience for those to build up that fan base because even some of the greats that we talk about you know talk about Hemingway and you talk about Edgar Allan Poe and you talk about um you know T.S. Lewis even and um oh my gosh how did I just forget Lord of the Rings name anyway um Jen, that is how I forgot Lord of the Rings name but you know these people when they they when they published their books they weren't nearly the big deals everybody thinks they are now and they weren't what you know it did just happen overnight for them that they were these great things I mean a lot of those books that I just talked about were put into really 
weird categories like where people were like this is not real fiction you know what i mean like t.s lewis this is not real it, it, it kind of is you know everybody reads it now but it wasn't at the time yeah. Well, I, I monopolized that entire first section again. You Does you mean, always do. You always do. <laughs> what has the process been like writing a novel as opposed to short stories? Um, I've built up around it uh, and connections, I think, is the main thing. I didn't I didn't set out to plan a novel as well. Like I was writing a short story. It actually came from a master's course. There was um, this module on intertextuality. And we read Frankenstein because there's loads of intertextual references in Frankenstein, you know, like he, the monster learns to read with um, all these books that are like super famous at the time and were mentioned. And then the next week we did fairy tales and we did Angela Carter and all that sort of stuff. And I wrote a story about Frankenstein set in a modern day. And then I wrote a story about Cinderella uh, being kidnapped by this aristocratic foot fascist uh, mm -hmm. who removes her feet. And, um, I didn't know what I was going to do for my final piece. And I thought, oh my God, all of this is connected to, to bodies and their removal and their reintegration. I should, I should slam them together. And it started out as a 3000 word short story um, where this Cinderella character uh, meets up with this Frankenstein character in a hospital and they end up this kind of body swapping thing. And I realized as I finished the 3000 words, like, oh, this isn't complete. So I did a little preface at the beginning when I submitted it like, this is a section from a novel. I chose these chapters because it best represents a full plot, but it will, I promise, be fleshed out. And I uh, got a very good grade. It's absolutely <laughs> rubbish. I thought it was absolutely rubbish at the time. I was like, I'm never touching this again. And then I knew I wanted to do a PhD and it was like, right, what project am I going to focus on? Is it going to be skets? Is it going to be, you know, various other things that I've since dropped? And in the end, I was like, I keep coming back to this thing. And I keep playing around with it and it was so much fun. And it was so fun because it wasn't literary fiction. This is campy, mm -hmm. ridiculous horror. This is like horror hospital, uh, kind of just Rocky Horror Picture Show ridiculousness. It's, it's all, and but that makes it fun. And that means like, it doesn't matter if I have these kind of like tongue in cheek, eye rolly references. It doesn't matter if it's not perfect because when I describe the plot to people, especially on the PhD, they tend to look at me kind of baffled because they're like, I'll be like, oh, what are you doing? They'll be like, oh, I'm looking at, um, you know, Irish literature in the 1800s with a, a spin on men's mental health and the, the potato famine. What are you doing? And I'm like, so I've got this thing about feet. <laughs> it's really bizarre. Um, so yeah, it, yeah, basically I built around that and I started building more and more chapters. And then before I knew it, I was like, okay, I've got all these chapters, but it's not cohesive. How can I fill in the blanks? And then I filled in the blanks and then I had a first draft. And then it was like, okay, but some of this is really shaky and not really believable. So I started rewriting it and then I had a second draft. And then, you know, so that's how I do it bit by bit, interconnecting things and then filling in the gaps. And then when it's all done, looking at the glaring potholes and kind of reframing them. So it's a lot of drafting and a lot of redrafting. Like I said, I'm not, I'm not a perfectionist straight away. I like that though, because I feel like I get bogged down in trying to be perfect the first time around. And so I'm not productive at all, but it sounds like you're productive all the time to just try and do things, putting square A in the whole B or whatever and moving things around. And I like that like concept of just letting it happen. You know? Thank you. Yeah, it works for me, definitely. I mean, I mean, 
<laughs> I think a lot of people, especially people that are perfectionists, have kind of been slightly dismissive of it because I, I pop, come along to seminars with these ridiculous first drafts with things that don't really make sense. And then I end up getting really good grades and like, oh, but she's nowhere near as talented as me. And no, not really. No, you're probably right. But also <laughs> like I, I just work hard at it and do it constantly. And I do it constantly because I really enjoy it, actually. I think I think if you force yourself to do it when you're not enjoying it, you won't. But yeah. playing is fun. And I think as long as you see it as just playing around, which is what it is, playing around and creating, then it is fun. And then you don't mind doing it over and over again and playing around with it. So, yeah. What other, uh, once you finish this like campy horror book, what do you think you'd like a genre you'd like to try? Ooh, I do love horror. I do love horror in the Gothic, definitely. I'm big on like kind of body gothic stuff. For a while I wanted to write dystopian when I was a teenager and then I kind of backed away from that idea. I think it was during a big dystopian phase. Um, I love literary fiction. I think my heart will always kind of attach to that kind of stuff, like the, um, you know, fragmented slice of life, true to, true to reality thing. And I always kind of wanted to be this gritty, realistic sort of person, but that's, you know, obviously that's not worked out. I'm writing stitches, but um, I don't know. I don't know what I'll want to try until I try it and realize I love it. I know that's not really an answer. That's sort of a, what, what do you want to try next? Oh, everything that I'm already doing actually. But um, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. I don't know. I can't, I can't. You're like, who the fuck knows? I'll figure it out. Yeah, very much so. Yeah. <laughs> Well, but that can sometimes be the best way to work it because I've I've also seen people go in to try stuff, which I think everybody should try. This is not me saying you shouldn't try, but then they start forcing to try it or they don't go get enough um, understanding of the actual like what they want to write. Like, I, you know, I write horror as well. Bo writes horror as well. But I've seen people try to go write horror that write, for instance, sci-fi. And I'm like, did you read a lot of horror books before you? You wrote this like because it reads like a sci-fi book where they're trying to kill people and I'm like you can do that but this doesn't read like you don't have the tension that you need to put into a horror book or the gore or you know what I mean like this is this is just a sci-fi book where you murdered somebody so it's still a sci-fi book and just somebody died not a horror book that's, <laughs> that's absolutely fine you can have sci-fi horror like Alien is absolutely fantastic as an example Lots oh Aliens is my favorite movie of all time aliens the the sequel yeah that's not the first one the second one the second one i think is brilliant i love yeah. the ripley character because she was one of the first you know princess leia her action adventure female badasses but the humor in that horror movie was to me just epic like they nailed the tension the scary stuff and then the humor which which yes so that is my favorite movie of all time just in case anyone's wondering I will re-watch that movie <laughs> so many times during the year I, As it's I, fantastic. I, I read this great thesis it was um somebody had written a thesis on gynophobia can't remember who it was it was an Australian writer and I god I wish I could remember her name but it was free online anyway and I was reading it when I was doing research my own thing because I do a lot about horror film and uh, she talks about um the vagina dentata and this terrifying birth and this terrifying uh kind of Freudian connection with all this stuff and her analysis of Alien was just really really interesting uh and the cat survives which is my favorite bit 
soon as you see a pet in a horror film, you're like, oh, you're gone, mate. Sorry. And the cat survived. <laughs> oh, great stuff. Love to see it. No, it's true. You know, it's funny is somewhere I have a piece. They there was a sketch of what the face hugger was supposed to look like. But the original sketch was just um, talking about what they wanted it to do. So it looks like like a little like Pokemon almost. It's not terrifying <laughs> at all, flying through the air. And it's one of my favorite things ever, knowing what a face hugger turns into. But it's like this little hand-drawn sketch from somebody going, it's going to come out of this round thing that looks like an Easter egg on the sketch, not like this thing. And it, it looks like a little flying stuffed animal through the air. And somebody took that and then made the face hugger. So, very cool. Yeah. Okay, Bo, I'm sorry. Interrupting. We talked about aliens. Go ahead. Is there a, a genre you are too afraid to try, but wish you could try? No. Um, no, sorry. I don't, I, I feel like that's disappointing. No, I, I, like if I wanted to try it, I'd just give it a go. If it was rubbish, yeah. it was rubbish, you know. I don't, I'm not scared, to, I, I'm not scared to try anything. Writing wise, I'm scared to like, you know, I'm not going to try cyanide, but like, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> for sure. I think if I ever wanted to take a stab at fantasy or sci-fi or, um, any of the genre fiction, like film noir or whatever, I, I would happily play around with it. I can't promise it would be any good. In fact, I'm sure it definitely wouldn't. Um, I'm a little scared of poetry, actually. Now that I think about it, I did a poetry night last night where I performed like kind of ad hoc. I didn't know I was going to be doing it. And poetry sort of scares me because it's one of those perfectionist things. Like every word is put down with meaning. It has to fit into a rhythm, a rhyme, not necessarily a strict rhythm or rhyme, but it has to sound right. And like, you have so little space that everything must be put down with precision. That's what I tell my students. And I don't write like that. So writing poetry is incredibly difficult for me. I mean, in Marvel, I have some poems and they're all terrible. Uh, like I'll admit it, they're all terrible. They're, of a, they're written by a grieving lunatic who was trying to imitate a far better poet who had died. Um, so I'm a little scared of poetry, actually in hindsight. Or more, I'm scared of people reading my poetry because I don't think it's very good. <laughs> but how, how did the poetry night go? Was it good? Oh yeah, that was great. <laughs> Fantastic time. Um, it's called Last Poet Standing. So there's a pub in Norwich called Last Pub Standing. The whole road, Norwich is one of those cities that had more pubs than there were days in the year at one point kind of thing. And it's not that big. And there was also a street that was full of pubs and then little by little, they all closed down. And this is the last one, the last medieval one. It's amazing. It's got like a glass floor and you can see underneath into the cellar where there's kind of like this, this skeleton with pirate loot and all that sort of stuff. Anyway, there they do a poetry night called Last Poet Standing. And I turned up at the request of one of my friends and I was like, hey, what's going on? And they didn't have enough people. And they were just like, hey, are you performing? Are you just here to see it? And I was like, oh, I'm just here to see it. And they were like, oh, you sure we've got a slot? And I was like, yeah, whatever, slip me in then. <laughs> and uh, didn't have any material and just did the stuff that I memorized and did a poem that I didn't know by heart, but that I kind of, I winged it basically because it seemed appropriate for the other poetry that had come before. And um, I think, cause I was quite honest and vulnerable and I said to them like listen I don't have any material I didn't know I was gonna do this till an hour ago I'm just giving it a go be nice <laughs> they all they were were they were incredible and mm -hmm. yeah the audience was really lovely and a lot of the poets came up afterwards and was like that was fantastic and I was like no you were fantastic and yeah it was, it was a really lovely community thing it's definitely something that I'm gonna do again but that's it you can't perform prose not as well I don't I don't think it's as interesting to stand and read a story as it is to perform a poem so I'm always gonna make the effort to do that as a marketing tool 
I'm doing it actually at the end of the month at a place called Toast. It's a Norwich Arts Centre, but they're fantastic Toast um, poetry. If anyone wants to follow them on Instagram. But yeah, it's still terrifying. I'll do it, but I mean, I hate it, <laughs> but I'll do it. Very That's cool. really brave. That's so brave. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> it doesn't feel brave. I'm shaking the entire time. You know, I'm not not super like socially extroverted. I know that seems ridiculous because I'm talking on a podcast, but I, honestly, I'm not. <laughs> well, Bo was talking on a podcast and she is also not socially extroverted. I'm not. I'm not. I'm really not. I'm very shy. Really? Yeah. <laughs> so shy. You should you should see my interview on this podcast. It was bad. Like, oh no, I listened so to it. Shy. It was, it, it was, was not good. bad. Oh my gosh. <laughs> no, I, I really enjoyed it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It wasn't I bad. Always, well, I always feel bad about myself. So that's what that was. It was just like a self-esteem thing. But Which you're is doing so funny because then she's like, Yeah, I want to co-host with you. And I'm like, that, oh, that's yes. being on the podcast all the time, then you know that, right? Yeah. That's how that works. This is this side is easier than the other side. This side is easy. I definitely think there's a link though between being really shy and um really embarrassed of yourself in the past and having that need to do better. So I'm always yeah. mortified by everything I did any longer than 20 minutes ago. And then I'm like, so I'm gonna keep doing stuff because I have to prove to people that I'm not as awkward as I was 20 minutes ago. <laughs> and like, you know, so it does there is definitely a link between being semi self-loathing and ridiculously introverted and also desperately wanting to put yourself out there I think that's it exactly that's it <laughs> I need that tattooed on my chest that is me oh please don't do that <laughs> no no we're gonna pass on that idea that's a terrible plan we're gonna hard pass on that that's an awful plan um what is your best writing environment oh I love this room uh, do you want to see it yeah sure um I'm going to be careful with my wine but like this is my little office space it's great I love it it's also where we dry laundry because we don't live in a very big house but I used to live with four people and um they've been whittled down so my flatmate my amazing flatmate Sophie Sherman if you're listening uh we made this place into a little spare room and my mom and dad they were moving so they were getting rid of some furniture and they were just like you can have it so I got these bookshelves from my mum and dad, all of my old books from childhood that I'd not had with me for ages because they were back at my parents. This settee uh, from my mum and dad, this futon that I've had forever. It's like great, it falls out, people can sleep in it. So we've got a proper adult grown-up grown spare room now. It's the first time, usually my friends just like sleep in my bed with me, <laughs> but yeah. So I love this room. And the reason I'm so enthusiastic about it is it's relatively new. It was like this month that I got this room to do my work. Uh, and I love it so much because before I was doing it cross-legged in bed um, so yeah I like it here I do do work in coffee shops the terrible thing is when I get most of my ideas it's when I'm walking or running or like out and about so it's actually not conducive to much writing there was a lot of time when I was doing my master's where I was walking to uni and then I'd get to uni and like almost frantically scribble down a story I did that's where I wrote the tracks which is um a part cheeky bloody articles it will be part of skets one day when I actually finish that. Uh, so yeah, I like that. I like writing outside if it's sunny. Um, yeah, does that answer your question? I feel like it rambles a little. No, you can totally ramble a little. No, it's true. I think it's fun to write in coffee shops. I actually just went into a Starbucks that opened here. I live in a really tiny town and I was impressed at how big this thing was. 
and how they have tables to go sit and write. And I haven't written in a coffee shop since COVID started. And I was like, I'm going to go down there and I'm going to write and just sit there and make them give me caffeine and write because some of the other little coffee shops up here are like this big. So yeah. like you, there's no tables, whatever. It's like literally go in and get your coffee, maybe one bench in there. So I was super excited about being able to do that because I, that. I like motion of people. I don't know. I, I write well at home too and having a space. And I think it's brilliant. You have your own space now because I think as writers, we, having a space, whether we use it all the time, but having a space we can create and put stuff together that makes it ours so that you feel comfortable when you go in there. Yeah, a room of one's own, like Virginia Woolf, 100%. But yeah, it's funny you say that. When I was doing my master's, uh, my friend Catherine, who reminds me an awful lot of uh, you, Erica, actually. I mean, <laughs> if, I if you think it was a compliment. Well, <laughs> if, if you told me that this girl was your daughter, I'd be like, of course, 100%. She's, um, she's very American, very American, and uh, has the same accent as you and is a writer as well. Um, she does a great blog, by the way, called Always Catherine, Support Other Writers. Um, but yeah, she uh, she used to be like, let's go write in Starbucks. And I'd be like, fantastic. And we'd all go as a group and just sit and write. And that's how I got a lot of my uh, dissertation done. That was fluid that I was working on then. Um, <laughs> and my friend, my other friend, Hannah, who is also a brilliant writer, she tried to do it as well. <laughs> and she just took us to a pub. And um, <laughs> it was ridiculous. I was like, yeah, okay, we're going to get together. We'll write. This will be fantastic. And I started writing. And she was like, what are you doing? I was like, I'm writing Hannah and she's like oh yeah sick safe safe nice and I was like all right I'm gonna put this away we're just gonna get drunk aren't we that's what's gonna happen <laughs> because that's what's happened. Yeah. it's a double-edged sword but yeah definitely writing as a group is a good thing and writing out where you can people watch is a great thing as well for sure very cool okay Bo ask a question I'll ask the last one do you see I'm, I'm letting you off the hook being nice What is the hardest part about being a writer? I'm so poor. <laughs> I have no money at any given time. Uh, it's, a, it's a struggle. I think the thing is I'm happier now than I was um, in any of the other jobs I did. Like I love teaching. Teaching is one of my favorite things. And I do teach at the moment and I teach and stuff as well. But like uh, when I taught properly and I had also pretty poor pay to be honest, but like at least money at the end of the month in my account. Um, I wasn't as happy as I am now and I was working in an office and I definitely got very good money. I, I wasn't as happy as I am now, but it's terrifying. It's absolutely terrifying. It gets to the point where you're just like, I've got to pay my tuition fees and I don't know if I'm going to be able to go pay my rent. And I don't know if I'm going to be able to like, I've had to um, tell people if they would please let me off paying until a few months when I get some more money. And then immediately as soon as I've got that money, it's gone again. Cause I've, I've had to pay back the people that I've owed. And then on, on repeat, it's hard. It's hard to like, dedicate your life to something that you know isn't going to be lucrative um if I could make money doing this that would be the most ideal life that's that's the only thing that I find difficult about being a writer because I love reading I love writing I love creating I love the community I love putting stuff out there I love thinking I'm doing something that I really really care about that could potentially resonate with someone or maybe it won't but you're like fuck it might uh so that yeah, I don't think there's anything I really hate about it, except for the fact that I'm poor all the time. <laughs> okay, my final question for you is, what advice, since you're doing your PhD, would you give authors? Oh, authors? 
go to someone better to get advice for a start but I mean I think just do it just do it I think think about what's actually your story that you want to tell most importantly don't imitate the people around you there's no you're never going to be as good as them but you'll always be better than anyone who's trying to be you so find out what's special and different about you and write it down and you don't know who it's going to resonate with and just keep going because it's going to be crap and then it's going to be slightly less crap and then it's going to be all right but just keep going um yeah and I think I think that's kind of my philosophy in general is <laughs> just you know keep working keep trying keep doing it while it's fun and anything you create it will resonate with someone it doesn't matter who and god that's definitely come from like the music that I like which is very like learn three chords and start a band and the art that I like like most of the art that resonates with me is not the stuff that's really beautifully technically brilliant but like the ridiculous explosive performance art or like these tiny little sketches that are really you know important to a lot of people so yeah I say just do it do it make it yours and put it out there I don't know if that's good advice but it's definitely what I'm sticking with hey no stick with there I like it okay <laughs> shameless self-promotion time let's talk about your books and how to find you on social media mm. yep the first book cheeky bloody articles it's under the tagline tales for well-dressed cynics and optimistic ragamuffins you can get it on amazon you can get it in the book depository you can get it um various other places if you are in the norwich area come find me because i'm going to be selling them at the end of poetry shows uh, and marvel the outmatch 16th again amazon book depository all these other places barnes and noble i think it's barnes and noble on there as well um if you want to follow me on instagram i'm scruff bucket ragamuffin it's not really writing related very much it's mostly just pictures of me and my cat you can find me on facebook if you want to you can't find me on twitter i'm afraid um but i feel like that's sort of burning to the ground anyway that's so. okay then. That's, <laughs> a, that's a whole dumpster fire in and of itself <laughs> And I do have a website, but I haven't bothered to buy a domain name. So it's something ridiculous like Kathleen Davis writer at ricksite.com forward slash Kathleen Davis writer at Rickside, something ridiculous. <laughs> you, can, you can find it, I'm sure, on like my Facebook or somewhere else. But yeah, that's it. I think that's all the self-promotion I have to do. Oh, buy Queer Lives, Queer Love. I've got a really good story in there. And also just because you should, because the proceeds go to charity and help trans youth. So do all that stuff. That's all the promotion I've got. <laughs> I love it. Very cool. Thank you so much for being on this podcast with us. No, thank you so much for having me and for giving me an excuse to drink in the middle of the week. I like that. Absolutely. We will always do that. Guys, this has been Drinking with Authors. <laughs> I've been your host, Erica Lance. My co-host has been Bo Lake. Our guest has been Kathleen Davis. And we will see you guys. Next. Oh, don't forget to like <laughs> and subscribe. I'm, this is terrible. And review. And review. <laughs> and review. And we'll see you next time. <laughs>
like not even remembering what I'm supposed to do anymore. It's fine. So I am drinking strawberry peach juice with gin, um, which a friend of mine gave me strawberry peach juice. Probably should have mixed it with champagne, but I mixed it with gin instead. What's up? Okay, but what are you drinking? I have now moved on to this blue moon, which is delicious. Like it, it matches your hair. Oh, like all the drinks that match your hair. <laughs> Kathleen, what are you drinking? I'm drinking this now uh, disturbingly light bottle of cheap Merlot. I'm on my third or fourth glass and I'm, I'm definitely feeling it. Yeah. I, I fully appreciate knocking off an entire bottle of wine when I'm on this podcast. <laughs> so I'm with you. Okay. First question What is your favorite book of all time? Catch 22 by Joseph Heller. Oh, wow. Why? I love that book, but why? I think it's genius. I, th I think. When I first read it, I was about 16. And the idea that you could have so many characters, but they were all well-rounded and hilarious. And plots interlink so effortlessly that it was a surprise when you found the connections between them. Humor that was that well done, because it's the kind of humor, it's not like, oh, just a funny situation. It's something that's been meticulously set up in advance. So that when it happens, you're, you're almost um, just laughing at the absurdity of it. Oh, I just think it's brilliant. It'll make you laugh and cry. The death of Snowden was one of the most heart-wrenching things I've ever read. The chapter on major, 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 major. Oh, to, to this day, one of my all-time favorite characters in anything ever, because he's just so sad. <laughs> like, yeah, it, it, I think it's, um, it's one of my favorite books of all time, for sure. Very cool. What about your least favorite book of all time? Oh my God. Uh, so it's Jack Kerouac on the road. Um, I've got a bit of a thing about this. I'm always having to go at my mate Carl for it because he actually loves Kerouac, even though he acknowledges that he's problematic and he needs me to stop having a go at him about liking Kerouac. But um, I just think it's not edited. I think it's not edited. I think it's rushed. I think basically it's a privileged white lad knocking about America for ages, being super racist and misogynistic, and then being like, ah, travel, wanderlust. And at the end, they're all sleeping with like underage Mexican children. They're just like, oh, what a wonderful world we live in. Uh, I just think it's crap. I, th I think it needs an editor. I think um, I think everyone tells me his other books are better, but um, I wrote a post about it on Facebook one time where I read it when I was 16 and I hated it so much that I was always getting in arguments about it, especially in English seminars. And then I reread it after I traveled and I'd been to China and I'd been to Spain and um, I was right all along. It was still shit. <laughs> so like, you know, I, I just, I just can't stand it. I think it's so smug, and I think it's everything that's wrong with um, white male writers. Because I love my favorite book is by Joseph Heller, so it's not like I'm completely biased. But I think, God, God, it's just dire, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Okay, Bo. Look, look at me not monopolize. <laughs> Who, who is your favorite author of all time? Oh my God, um, Virginia Woolf. Mm. Oh, so I've actually got like this gnarly Virginia Woolf tattoo. Um, can I show it? I don't know, maybe you can see. This is just oh. there. Like oh right yeah. Yeah, uh, like, I love Virginia Woolf. I think she's an absolute diamond. Um, the best of the best, isn't she? I mean, it's bad because I've gone on about how problematic John Kerouac is. And of course she's ridiculously problematic as well, but like, just an absolute icon in modernism. The way that like, once you get into stream of consciousness, it's like, you're not even reading. You're just like going, flowing along this minds of all these people. And yeah, an amazing writer. I think it's incredible. The Waves, definitely one of my faves. 
Where about your, your favorite snack while you're um, writing? Oh, favorite snack? All right, that's what I'm answering. Um, baby bells, big on cheese, Ooh. big on cheese, real, real fanatic. <laughs> Sorry, Bo, go ahead. Least favorite author. Apparently, Jack Kerouac. <laughs> well, that was least favorite I've book. book. I've only read the wrong book. So I, I mean, uh, oh, you know Besides what? Besides Jack Kerouac. Look, because the thing is, I'll read one book and I don't like it, and then I'm not going to read any more. So I remember someone recommended that I read Anne Rand's um, The Fountainhead. And I did. I read it because I kept thinking there was something that I wasn't getting in it. Uh, there was something that I was like missing. And then I got to the end of the book and I was like, no, she's literally saying that like architecture is more important than homeless people. Like that's the point of the book. That's it. That, that's the great message. And I just thought, oh God, that's absolutely ludicrous. And I think she's one of those that's been kind of like taken by the right wing as a bit of an icon to justify um, cruelty and selfishness and capitalism. Uh, so maybe, maybe Anne Rand, maybe not. But you know, there's probably loads of people like, you know, there's probably some underground indie writer who, if I met him, I'd be like, God, they're a real dick. <laughs> like, so I don't know, I couldn't, I couldn't possibly say who might be saying Who's a, um, outside of Virginia Woolf, who's an author dead or alive that you would like to have lunch with? Ooh, to have lunch with? Ah, that's a very different question. Because a lot of the writers that I love, I think would probably be horrible to have lunch with. I mean, my first thought when I was like, another writer that I love, I was like, oh, Sylvia Plath. And then I was like, to have lunch with? Cried, no. Um, <laughs> I'm trying to think, oh, who's fun? Who's like really, really fun and funny? Who writes fantastic books? I just can't really think of an example. Um, of course, there's a million, but I don't know. Maybe Edgar Allan Poe or someone like that. Somebody that's just like so much of a character that they're almost caricature. Like I'm sure he he wasn't like that in real life. I'm sure he was far less gothic and ridiculous, but that would be really fun. I think Mary Shelley, oh Jesus, I would love to have lunch with Mary Shelley. Uh, the original goth girl. Yeah, I mean, the OG. Definitely. Yeah, actually, no, what am I talking about? It'd be Mary Shelley. I'd want to sit across with her and be like, give me the goss. What's going on with Percy, mate? What, what's, <laughs> what's the house with Lord Byron? Tell me everything. And she'd be like, this is my lover's heart that's been calcified. And I'd be like, oh, you're so cool. Yeah, no, probably <laughs> Mary Shelley. I've got a lot of friends that are mental goth girls, to be fair. Lizzie, if you're listening. <laughs> Bo? What is your favorite book to movie adaptation? Book to movie adaptation. Ooh. Okay. Y'all ever seen the Lorax? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yep. I really love the Lorax a lot. I saw it in the cinema and I cried. Uh, I thought it was fantastic. And I'm a huge Dr. Zeus fan. I've got enough of Dr. Zeus tattoos as well. Like, um, big, big fan. And I just thought it was brilliant. And uh, oh, who is it? Is it is it Danny DeVito that does the voice of the yeah. Lorax who speaks to the trees? Mm -hmm. What casting, what a guy. Like, I, I love him probably more than I love most people. Um, so the Lorax is definitely up there. Really love the hours as well. I thought that was spectacular. Um, very mixed feelings about Clockwork Orange, but The Shining, oh my God, oh my God. Stephen King, I think, disagreed with me, but The Shining is incredible. And I saw it recently in the cinema with my flatmate, Sophie Sherman, the goat. Uh, so. Yeah, those three, I think they're up there. I like it. I like it. What about um, 
where's somewhere you want to visit where do I want to visit oh god everywhere I don't know I mean I want to go to one of the Caribbean sort of islands or kind of like Central America-ish where it's like beautiful and beachy I want to be like chilling out in Haiti for a little while I'm knocking about in Hawaii I do this thing called Worldle which is like Wordle but the countries and I do that every morning and then like google the place and imagine I was on holiday there uh, <laughs> so yeah and the ones where I'm always like god I wish I was there are always the kind of Caribbean islands like just in between South and North America so that area ideally very cool what about a literary world that you want to visit Oh, you know what? I was just reading um, 100 Years of Solitude. Why not Macondo? Ooh, yeah. That would be, that'd be cool. Like, kind of like, and also, it kind of fits in with that. I want to be in the middle of North and South America, that kind of vibe. Um, but yeah, I think that would be cool. That kind of like strange, hidden, isolated, magic place. Very cool. So, what is your Starbucks order or your coffee shop order? Um, I'm pretty basic to be honest. I'll have, I'll have an americano with some milk, or if I'm feeling fancy, a chai latte. Oh, see, I'm all about the dirty chai lattes. <laughs> dirty so, chai lattes. Throw some caffeine, more caffeine in there, more, yeah. more coffee. <laughs> um, it's a thing. It's a thing. Um. Uh, what is, uh, if you could be any mythical or fantastical creature, what would you be and why? Any mythical or fantastical creature? Give me a second to think about this one. And I'm going to regret it as soon as I say it as well. Uh, I don't want to be a mermaid because I'm not that good at swimming. Um, I don't know if I want to be a centaur. I think that would be bizarre. Maybe a dragon? I have a hard time getting into a lot of doors. Yeah. Somebody said centaurs once to me, and I'm, I, this is the thing about centaurs, like they're beautiful and they, the way they're represented, they're just absolutely sort of epic creatures, but you have the human torso, which is going to range somewhere between two to three and a half, four feet, right? If you cut us off at the waist, I would be three feet off of a horse body. That's going to be huge. There aren't doorways. You're not going up places. Like you're not doing any dungeon crawling or you're not going into necessarily a lot of taverns because you're <laughs> not going to fit through the door and in, under the ceilings. Like this is a thing to think about. Yeah. I mean, I, mean, I get in a pub. I can't get in a pub. I'm not interested in being that creature. <laughs> okay. So we've agreed no sense. <laughs> I, no, I, I have no idea. I don't know. I, I think probably I would think of something. I'll think of something brilliant and ironic as soon as this podcast ends but for the moment I mean maybe something like a kind of Medusa-esque Greek creature like a, a Scylla and Charybdis kind of like vengeful thing I don't know I don't know I, I just can't think sod it I'll be a unicorn why not okay. <laughs> I'm a bisexual like woman like I'm already a unicorn in many communities it's fine <laughs> Very cool. Bo? Is there a quote from a book or a poem that has resonated with you and like stuck with you? Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I've got many tattoos. Um, so, on my arm, I have um, Kid You'll Move Mountains. 
which is a Dr. Seuss quote that resonated a lot for me. On my back, I have, um, it's history, it's poetry, which is the Ketra Narai line about um, now people may not always understand you, but they've always left a record of the things that they didn't understand. So it could resonate with people. Um, I think my all time favorite literary line, and it's very cliche and overused, but I, I love it, is um, everything was beautiful and nothing hurt. Like that's that's one of those sentences that's enough to make you tear up out of context. You know, Slaughterhouse Five, Kurt Vonnegut. Um, so yeah, that one's that one's pretty good for me. <laughs> I don't know. I, there's I'm now, of course, a million flooding my head that I want to say, but yeah, that's great. If you could pick um, any character in any novel's book to lead their life, but you have to lead everything in their life, who would you choose? Oh well, I've got to think of um. A book with very little conflict, really. You know what? I want to. I'm going to say Eat, Pray, Love, just because if I get to go to Italy and eat loads of pizza, and then go to India and do loads of yoga, and then go to Indonesia and have great sex for a little while, I can do that. I'll handle the divorce, which isn't even really in the book. It's only like a bit at the beginning before she goes on this fantastic rediscovery journey. So why not? Yeah, and I'll. Her book was just paid for all of that, by the way. Like I, I'll just like hit them up <laughs> my tiny in the random publishers do you want to just send me do you want to send me around the world i'll write you a really mediocre book about it <laughs> sorry i'm pissed i've got pissed already shit that's that's welcome to the podcast i couldn't remember my exit on the last one <laughs> Go for it. what is your Desert Island book. Catch by Joseph Heller. Oh. No, I've got to say a different one, haven't I? I can't just say my favorite book. The one that I'd have when I'm stuck on a desert island. Oh, yeah. So many people, how to build a boat has got to be up there, hasn't it? Um, <laughs> desert Island book. Right. Tell you what, because it's the only way that I'm ever going to read it Ulysses the only chance you're ever going to get of me actually finishing Ulysses is if you stick me on a desert island so I might as well use the opportunity why not um no actually I go for something like a suitable boy uh something that's massive so that it keep me going like I thought of Ulysses but actually a suitable boy is much more readable and far more entertaining so I'll go with that <laughs> what is your favorite tropes like when you're reading a book what are some of your favorite tropes um I love, I love um, this person's really objectively good looking, but we're pretending they're ugly. I think that's really funny. I love that in like, um, you know, it's always something in Philadelphia where like, uh, what's his name? Mac anyway, he's like married to Dee in real life, but they spend half the show going on about how hideous and terrible she is even though she's one of the most beautiful people in the world uh, I love I can't remember is it the other guys that ridiculous comedy film where he's like I'm gonna go home to my plain wife and she's like a beautiful model I think that's like as comedy tropes go that's one of my favorites I love um I love proud queer pulls awkward straight woman into dance floor I love um oh god oh there's so many I love angsty, angsty, hard boy is soft for the soft one. Like all of this stuff, like, you know, I, I wish I wasn't a sucker for it. I wish I was above it all, but I'm not, I love it. 
I, love, I, I like it too. What about, um, uh, what is a trope you don't like? Um, ooh, a trope I don't like. Oh, I tell you what drives me mad. You didn't realize you needed this, but I realized you needed this. And that's why I did it for you anyway. Now, nah, fuck mm. that, it's control, man. I don't like it. I don't like that sort of stuff. And it happens a lot in horror at the moment because, you know, I watch a lot of horror, especially horror to do with mutilation. And it's coming up over and over again. This To make it a twist is for the literary purposes of making it a proper twist where they go, look, I've done this awful, unforgivable thing to you, but it was for your own good and soon you'll realise it. They do it in The Perfection when she manipulates a woman, drugs and manipulates a woman, so she chops off her own hands. But then they team up because she did it for her own good. Like, have I, you seen I, the movie The Menu yet? I love The Menu. I, I thought that was fantastic. Yeah, I thought that was such a great twist on that exact thing that you said when she does the hamburger thing. Oh, that was brilliant! Yeah, and yeah. that's a twist on somebody doing that exact thing. Yeah, and and it's fully deserved as well because it was just all of these people are ludicrous, hateful, pretentious people that have ruined the art of cooking and it seems like she was the only one that understood it as just like this random sex worker that's been swept in it up in it undeservedly uh yeah it was, it was god such a gorgeous film so funny and ironic the only thing i couldn't help thinking though is um oh my god Anna taylor joy she's never had a hamburger in her life look at her she's, so, she's absolutely gorgeous she weighs all six stone no way is she eating hamburgers but yeah no it was great film very true. Okay, Bo, guess what you get? The final question? Yeah. Make it good. <laughs> Every time she goes, Bo, I'm, all the questions just come out of my brain and I have nothing. <laughs> I think it's hysterical because <laughs> she has all these questions and then I go, Bo. I have a, I have a whole list. There's a whole <laughs> list here and I forget all of them. How do you deal with writer's block? Oh, just, oh, just do it anyway. Yeah. Uh, like just sitting in front of a keyboard and a blank screen and going this is shit I am writing shit this is awful I have to reach my word count and then eventually like the shit clears and you end up with something that's not shit and then when you go back and edit it you just delete all that shit but you've written your way out of it in a way just do it anyway I mean the amount of stories I've started and not finished because I didn't have an idea going into them and I didn't have an idea halfway through and nothing materialized and it was just crap but it's fine because at least I got out of it <laughs> in a way, just doing that sort of stuff. And if you can't do that, if you don't have the time to do that, read. Jesus, read all the time. Writers should be reading more than they write. I think there's so many, so many smug, arrogant writers that think their work is brilliant and everyone should read it, but don't take the time to read anyone else's work. And uh, just read, read all the time. As much as you can, as diverse as you can. So many voices and like a lot of them really deserve to be heard. Very cool. Shameless self-promotion time. Oh yeah, I've got books in that. Um, I've got this book called Cheeky Bloody Articles. It's available to buy on the internet if you Google it. Uh, lots of places, Barnes and Noble, Amazon, all that. I've got a new book coming out called Am Marvel. You should get that. Um, yeah, follow me on Instagram, Scruff Bucket Ragamuffin. Um, read all the stuff that's on my website if you'd like to. Um, come to poetry events in Norwich. I'll probably be there. And very cool. You've been so much fun to have on this podcast. Well, thank, thank you. Yeah, so thanks for having here. me. <laughs> Sorry. I said thank you so much for being here. Oh, thank you. Yeah, thank you again for having me. Honestly, it's been it's been really fun. <laughs>
Very cool. Guys, this has been Drinking With Authors, the Literary Briefs edition, and at least two of the three of us on this podcast are pretty drunk right now. Or pissed, <laughs> as they say in the UK. So um, don't forget to like and subscribe. And, and review. Oh. Oh. <laughs> Whatever. I've been Erica Lance. My co-host has been Bo Lake trying to help me remember what I'm actually supposed to say. Our guest has been Kathleen Davies. And we'll see you next time.